0: This spoiler-filled podcast is recorded live, unscripted, and intended for those over eighteen. Now, prepare your ears for the audio stimulation they've been waiting for all day as we step into the spoiler. Uh, Cole, uh, why don't we go with you, sir, and we'll go with your pick? You can give us either your first Wes Craven film, your best, your, your favorite one, or, or mention both of them.
1: Well, uh, they're they're both the same film um and it, it is nightmare on elm street the original um and hey. this film is uh you know I, I can't stress how important this film is to me i actually watched it by myself uh, on a road called weary road in oh. evansville wisconsin which is uh legitimately haunted actually uh one of my friends died car surfing on that road in 2020 did this cheap uh Thing about it and put this excerpt from Teen Wolf in it. You know that scene when he's car mm-hmm, surfing and like, mm-hmm. is Hollywood damaging our youth? And <laughs> oh, God. Matt oh, Floyd had goodness. never seen Teen Wolf. I can guarantee it. Um, but all of that aside, you know, I, I watched the film and I needed it uh, because what I got from it was a message of hope. I'm not speaking to to either of my bi- biological parents, but I certainly had step parents that were drunkards that were abusive, uh, neglectful, and I had night terrors, probably as a result of that, much like the characters in this film paying for their character sins. I mean, it, it it was almost a nightly thing I'd wake up screaming. You know, not anymore, obviously, because of this film. I was able to process through all of that. It has a deep personal meaning for me. Nancy rocks. I'd also never seen a movie at this point I hadn't decided that movies were my love I wanted to be a novelist when I was six you know I wanted to be Stephen King but when I saw this movie I hadn't seen Psycho yet so I was unaware of the technique of inter- introducing a character as a lead and then just freaking massacring her right? <laughs> I mean, I had no idea what I was in for at that point. I, you know, and again, my parents had fallen asleep, rented it for me. But my mother had fallen asleep. My grandmother was snoring softly in the chair behind me. God rest her soul. I'm glad she was asleep, or I never would have got to finish it. Um, but uh, it really, you know, it, it struck me right up front, and right after Tina's death, you know, I was glued to it. And I remember that's the first film. Up until then, I liked movies like Beverly Hills Cop. The Terminator creep show. Uh, this was The Breakfast Club, obviously, another movie that deals with child abuse, very upfront, which was rare in those days. And it it's rare still, which is why I made Little Red Riding Hood the way I made it. But with, with this film, man, this, this is a realistic portrait of uh, parents flat out not listening to their kids to the point where their kids are, are begging for their parents to save their fucking lives and the parents are still in a bottle, and you know what? It's their fault. Mm-hmm. Um, that that was what I got from it the first time I watched it. Now as an adult, I just finished it before I came on tonight. And the technique of the film, I get something new from it every time I watch it. Tonight, it was the technique. We just bought a Blu-ray player. So I was able to see it um, in Blu-ray and, and in, in Surround, which I haven't had hooked up since my house fire. And man, this movie is a technical masterpiece. The, I would say it even rivals John Carpenter's Halloween. The lighting, mm-hmm. the use of atmosphere, the way the scenes go from set to set in a surrealistic uh, transition, like dreams do. Not, not like, not not to pick on the remake, but not like the remake that did it, where they just throw snow in for the hell of it. No, in this movie, you wander from places you know to places that are v- vaguely familiar. To places that are your utmost nightmare within 15 seconds, and the transition is absolutely fluid and flawless. That's the way my, I mean, that's at least that's the way my dreams are. Uh, Aside from the technique, the performances in the film are amazing. Uh, Johnny Tepp, as we all know, is is phenomenal. He was in um, he was in the area a few years back shooting Public Enemies and showed up actually at Quick Trip in, in Viroqua, and everybody's going ape shit. you know, oh, my God, if he stops in at the co-op, what are we going to say? What are we going to ask him? And I just like, dude, I'd go up and say thank you for Nightmare on Elm Street. And I and I mean that. That's what I would have literally done if I saw Johnny Depp. I would have gone up. I would have shaken his hand. I would have said thank you so much because he's key to that. Also, Nick Corey, who it's worth mentioning, as you guys all I'm sure know, is a – latin actor playing an italian actor playing an italian character uh, he had to change his name because this agent speaking of agents was afraid that a latin actor wouldn't make it so uh, that's a layered performance and he is wasted anybody who's seen never sleep again knows this he's wasted doing that jailhouse scene and he regrets it to this day i say it makes the scene Whatever drug he was on, he looks sad, and it helps. And obviously, Robert England, John Saxon, Ronnie Blakely, uh, but Heather Langenkamp is really the glue. Um, she's the glue to this film. Uh, she was great in three, uh, but really, New Nightmare is probably her best role, but uh, mm-hmm. and this is her yeah. best, best movie. I mean, she, this is, I believe her. I believe mm-hmm. her. I like the way her hair turns gray, at a moment of fright, like in. Uh, uh, Stephen King's novel of Pet Cemetery, Lewis's hair, does the same thing. I thought that was effective. And just to show you that, and I'll wrap this up quickly, just to show you the attention to detail of this film, that shot when Ronnie Blakely unwraps the glove. Now we have some filmmakers out there, and I know you've all done insert shots. This movie <laughs> pays close attention to even its insert, insert shots, and if you want to know the difference, Look at part two when Mark Patton unwraps the glove from the same location. Not nearly as effective, and I would go so far as to say bland, even though I love Freddy's Revenge. I mean, Wes Craven's uh, imprint is all over this film. You can tell he spent six months on the script. The script itself is a great read. If you haven't read it, I was able to find it on, on, online and download it. It is a phenomenal read. Uh, this is one of the movies, uh, you know, like... Seven or uh, like Beverly Hills Cop this is the type of movie I was like okay, I want to be a filmmaker you know, I want to tell stories that hopefully some young kid up in the middle of the night you know, might stumble across one of my movies and think, holy shit there's hope um, <laughs> so yeah, that's Nightmare on Elm Street to me it's a fucking masterpiece dude.
0: nice and uh, Kate, you mentioned Nightmare on Elm Street I believe, how, uh, how about you for this film
2: Oh god, I mean I I love it. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, it's it's just so original and it I mean it, it gives it's a lose lose situation. You can't you know, you can't go to sleep but you can't stay awake forever. Um which is I think a really simple idea but like just really brilliant. Mm-hmm. Um
0: any favorite and, uh, moment in there at all or
2: Oh gosh. I, so, I wouldn't say that this is my favorite because it's, like, horrifying, but it's my most memorable when the phone turns into his tongue. <laughs> and, he, you know, and he's like, I'm your boyfriend now, and, <laughs> you know? It, it, it's that, I mean, I'm not like, yeah, that's the best scene ever, because it, it's so gross. But I think that that, I guess that that does kind of make it one of the best scenes, if it makes you feel like that, so... It, yeah but i it, I love it. I love it.
0: <laughs> it's supposed to make you feel that way and I think uh in the hands of some other directors, you wouldn't feel gross. You might take that as a bit hokey or cheesy, but the way he set up the film by that point, when you get that it's it's disgusting <laughs> it's a right just,
2: and like just... you can see it moving in all these different spots. it looks like yeah. a, you know it's not just like one thing moving like you can see little. Parts of the tongue moving independently, it's like pulsating. You know, I don't know.
0: <laughs>
2: you you uh, hear what I'm saying, though. Oh, I, I get what you're I'm saying. Made
3: grosser, I was
0: going to
2: say. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Scott, what about you with Nightmare on
4: Elm Street? Uh, it is, uh, yeah, I was hoping someone would pick this because it is, uh, it's perfect. I mean, it is one of those rare movies where I look back on it every time I watch this, and I watch this like at least once or twice a year. Every time I watch it, I think, "God, it's a perfect movie." I mean, I if if first of all, I say like if I was making it, but you know what? I wouldn't be. I'm not smart or talented enough to make it. But if I was, like, I don't think that I would have done anything differently. It is so iconic. It is so perfect. It's uh, it's scary. It, it deals with the detachment that parents feel from their kids, just like Cole was saying, where they're abusive or they're just not there, and it's all because they're wrapped up in their own regrets and stuff. Um, I remember, oh my gosh, a couple of memories of this. So Favorite scenes, no running in the hallway. When I first saw this movie, I said... <laughs> And and she's running it's through the hallway, and she says, "Where's your pass? Screw your pass!" And then, and then, and then, Nancy, no running in the hallway. When I saw that, I'm like, "Yep, that's it. I'm not sleeping tonight." Shit, because <laughs> 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 I saw this when I was a little kid. Stuff. So. I mean, I remember so many things. I think I bought I bought this in every kind of incarnation I could find it that was somewhat new. I remember. Back in the 90s, if you. DVD had not hit yet, uh, and if you didn't have a Laserdisc player, as most people did not, studios started releasing limited edition VHS sets. With do X-rays. you have the double oh, yeah.
1: set, dude, with all the outtakes on it?
4: Yeah, the yes, I set. do. Oh, man. Man. Blood <laughs> Do you want? Uh, do you, uh, And I will say this: I'm sorry if this spoils it, but I remember watching this and bringing everybody over and like watching, like, look at this extra. I'm like, okay, now watch this. Now watch the extended scene of. Oh man, if this is spoiling pe- things for people, I don't care what the de- name of the show is. You can turn it down for like two minutes. It's fine, <laughs> but it's um, and but there's this extended scene of when Nancy's mother tells her why they did this, which actually led leads you to believe that how much older they were. And she said that Freddie had a number of victims as like people who had you know there were kids in this neighborhood who had brothers and sisters and so did you. Yeah. Yeah. Nancy had a brother that was murdered by Freddie. Yeah. That is not in the final cut. I'm like, Jesus Christ! I mean that just like blew my mind when I saw this and I was showing this to everybody, like, oh my god. I mean it makes everything so much more horrifying. As if you could. As if you could take this thing. Every single layer you found out about this character was more more horrifying. It's it's really you know, as if you had to do the thing about ranking the slasher films, I know that there are people who love the Halloween movies, and that you should. And there's people who love the Friday the 13th movies, and you should. For me, man, Nightmare on Elm Street, the original, is a perfect, perfect movie.
0: Yeah. <laughs> nice. And I think a lot of people would agree with you. Uh, what about you, Paul, with Nightmare on Elm Street? Uh,
5: <laughs> there are a few things I did like about the film. Um, the uh, Tina's death scene is just absolutely amazing. You see the cuts just kind of forming there. It was just absolutely... And then having her getting thrown around the room, it was just... When I first saw that, it was just... It blew me away. Uh, and then later on, you actually see that that uh, day, uh, school daydream sequence where uh, the body bag is being dragged in the hall and it leaves that little blood trail. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's one of my favorite scenes in any horror movie to this day. Uh, and, of course, the bathroom scene with uh, Freddy's... Claw coming up from the water, and just about every exchange that Nancy has had with Freddie, I thought had this like weird little subtext, which I kind of enjoy now as an adult that I didn't really understand as a teenager. Um, and, uh, let's see, what else did I like about it? Uh, I, I love the fact that, uh, you, uh, it introduced a concept to me, which i I never seen in a movie, which was you turn away from the monster and you, you take away its power because you give it its power. And I thought that was just an amazing concept. And it was like, wow, it blew my mind when I first heard that. Uh, and then my favorite quote from this movie was, uh, when Tina goes and she says, uh, please God. And then Freddie just, holds up his glove and he says, this is God. I love that scene. So there's a lot of things in this movie that I loved. So
0: Um, a lot of scary moments in here, a lot of memorable ones. Definitely. Uh, And some uh, good choices. Uh, Glenn, what about you with nightmare on Elm street?
6: Oh boy. I love this movie. Um, (laughs) And I love it even more since a friend of mine who, who was never a huge fan of it, but, uh, when it first came out and uh, probably about five or six years ago, he was going on as he does about once every 18 months on his, how much he hates Johnny Depp rant. <laughs> and I, I said, I said, and here you don't like nightmare in Elm Street. He's like, what are you talking? I'm like, he gets killed in nightmare in Street. He's like, what? I didn't even watch that movie. Like, yes, you do. Yes, you do. So, um, that actually, his death scene actually got me because of the fact that I had a waterbed. Oh, so wow. it's like, I kind of, you know, And I always kept it somewhat less than full, so I was already, like, really sunken down in it anyways. So, oh. so yeah. Seeing that scene where you just, gonna, like, pulled down into the bed, I'm just like, oh,
4: shit. <laughs> as I'm sleeping on the floor. <laughs> you
6: know, I, got, I actually got the hose and I filled the bed up as far as it would go. <laughs>
7: <That's> <laughs> and they take better. it to the next level in part four. Yes, they yes.
0: do. Yes, they do. Uh... Uh, Andrew, I don't think we got your thoughts yet with uh, Nightmare, did we?
3: No, I love Nightmare on Elm Street, man. Um, what do I love? I love when Nancy takes her shirt off. Uh, she's so <laughs> fine. She's fine as hell, man. And I was just like, man, why don't you turn around, you know? Like when I was a kid watching it, I wanted to see her. Naked, cause I think that might be a body double when she's in the bathtub. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, but um, what else is what else is fa- fa- up yours with a twirling lawnmower? I look like that. <laughs> uh, what else? There's um, Paul really nailed like all my favorite scary parts. Sure, pretty much like all my favorite you know, <laughs> scary parts. But yeah, I just remember yeah I had a crush on. Heather Langenkamp, and yeah, she's like in her underwear, and, mm-hmm. and that was awesome.
0: <laughs> and I I saved him for last because he's uh, the Friday the Thirteenth uh, uh, super fan here. Uh, so I wanted to get his thoughts, uh, your thoughts with Nightmare on Elm Street, Derek.
7: Well, you already know my thoughts on Nightmare on Elm Street, as most of the people in this show were on a retrospective podcast on my podcast to do cross promotion here. Astro Radio Z, we did a whole retrospective on it, so you know that I absolutely adore this film. Um, Is it? I I can't agree that it's a perfect film, um, but it's a highly enjoyable film, and it's one that I love dearly, and I think. Um, as as any filmmaker has been taught, uh, growing up, that um, how you open a film is is how you pull people in. And I think the the very first frames of this film, before the credits even hit, where you you watch Freddy make his gloves. Mm-hmm. When I was a when I was a kid, I remember seeing that, thinking that was some of the creepiest shit I had ever seen in my entire life. Just mm-hmm. just heavy breathing and him just pounding out these metal gloves and then all of a sudden at the very end, and it's just perfect editorially where all of a sudden, flick, and then then the the title card hits. I think it's one of the greatest openings of any horror film of all time. It it is so iconic. It It is so dark. It is grungy, it shows that era of Wes Craven where there was this really seething dark undercurrent to a lot of the things that he was doing and I absolutely adore uh, the opening to that film more than just about anything else in, in the film um, but the the thing about Nightmare on Elm Street which I think some of the sequels took and ran with a little too much was um, the, the tongue-in-cheek nature of kind of, uh, I, I want to say the third act, mm-hmm. where where it's the big cat and mouse thing. It, it starts to get a little hulkier as it as it goes along. Where I think the first half of the film is, is pretty dark, and it's it, it's got some great tension. It's very surreal, and I think a lot of the things that you guys hit upon. Um, you also remember, I believe, wasn't Wes Craven a Buddhist? I believe so. Because a lot of these ideas of uh, uh, taking, uh, turning your back on on suffering, in in attachment, and not giving things the power to to make you suffer, um, is is a very Buddhist principle, mm-hmm. and uh, there's a lot of that running through a Nightmare on Elm Street and a lot of his other films.
1: Yeah, man. Just to elaborate on that, my favorite moment in the film is uh, when Nancy grabs her mother's vodka bottle and smashes it against the floor and says, screw sleep. And really, she's not just talking about the act of falling asleep.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: She's talking about opening your fucking eyes to the dark things that are closing in on you in your life. And that really is what the movie is about. I, I very firmly believe.
7: Yep. There's, there's a lot of Buddhism that runs through a nightmare on Elm Street, a lot of Buddhist principle.
0: hmm And, and what I loved about uh, Nightmare on Elm Street is, one, I, here, it kind of turned the genre, and again, he did it with Scream, but he showed what you could kind of do with the horror genre that I don't think a lot of people realized, in that you could, you didn't have to have just the silent killer. Don't get me wrong. Nothing wrong with the silent killer. Don't get me wrong. But with a the slasher, they showed you could have a slasher with personality. I mean, here he designed it, and yeah, he, he only did the first, two films you know he was majorly involved with and and this is you know one on everybody's really high regard list but he basically cre- created one of the iconic horror characters that i think was one of the major horror characters first major horror characters to work their way into pop culture i mean heavily you know i mean you you saw freddy everywhere pretty much mm-hmm. as as the years went on i mean freddy was You know, you were getting getting the anthology series, he was doing the phone numbers. I mean, granted, he had become more of a joke, more of the tongue-in-cheek guy, which, as Derek alluded to, you know, it, it got too focused on. And I think, Freddie, you do run into... I think some people are, like the younger audiences nowadays, are taken aback when they see the original... Freddie, because I think he fought, suffers from the Ash syndrome in that he everybody does, does, yeah. everybody pictures Freddie as the later Freddies, just like every, a lot of people picture Ash from Army of Darkness and not Ash from the first Evil Dead, which are different Ashes, you know. But every the Ash that a lot of people love are the one that worked his way into the culture, the groovy and all that, is from Army of Darkness. Same way with Freddie. Right. You know, and unfortunately, that I think catches people off guard when they see this film and they see, holy crap, this is a seriously scary, disturbing, dark horror film. But they, they play with, they, oh,
5: go know oh, what? Go. No, ahead, go. Paul. no you, you, Paul, go, go. I was just going to say, they play with that actual notion in New Nightmare. Mm-hmm. Actually, it's just amazing the meta-ness of that whole thing.
4: That's exactly what I was gonna say. Hey. <laughs> well, <laughs> I was gonna use it as a, as a little segue, and I'm sorry if it was somebody else's pick, but I mean I think New Nightmare is one of the most brilliant I was watching that again recently, and it is one of the most brilliant movies I've ever seen <laughs> I've seen about horror movies and about mm-hmm. fantasy versus reality and mm-hmm. the how characters um because we were mentioning you were mentioning how it becomes a, a pop culture thing that's what he that movie was playing with is that the freddy in that movie is kind of like a, this actual entity that exists throughout history and takes the guise of all these different uh, people like uh that that capture the public's imagination whether it be dracula or frankenstein or something else and it was now freddy and it now had decides to like that, and he wants to come into this world. And the way that movie blurs the lines between fantasy and reality, having people play themselves, and then having, having some people in their lives be actual people that are in their lives, and other people be actually inventions of the script, and it's just fascinating. And it's also where Wes was able to kind of turn that back and turn Freddy, or whatever this entity is, into the actual boogeyman th- of the orig- the unseen, mysterious boogeyman of the original once again. Right. And it, it was just like one of the brilliant things that movie did was uh, New Nightmare. Is just, uh, people didn't really embrace it like they should have, and they really should. It's such a br- fantastic movie.
0: Well, a New Nightmare was him testing out, I think, and trying out and working with ideas that a later two years later, would bring us Scream, the whole mm-hmm. meta thing and the whole referencing horror films. We see that starting a New Nightmare, and it comes to fruition in Scream, which, again, was... Here's a man who defined the horror genre, redefining it, and actually picking it apart uh, because of what it became as it became the corporate machine from what it started as. So, uh, it's it, yeah, New Nightmare is great in... That you can see him testing out stuff, much like and and I may be stretching here, and I'm sure you guys can can tell me I'm full of shit, but uh, I'm sure many of you have probably seen Deadly Blessing, right?
7: Oh yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. yeah. Now understand. now if you look at Deadly Blessing, it's considered a little bit of a snoozer compared to his other films, but if you look at what he does in there with themes and even with shots, that's him practicing and setting up for Nightmare on Elm Street you get the scene in the bathtub in Deadly Blessings where you have your main character girl. She's in the bathtub relaxing, and something comes up between her legs, only instead of a claw hand, it's a snake in Deadly Blessings.
7: But this uh, is something that Wes Craven did in a lot of his films, that he revisited <laughs> shots and themes throughout all of his films. There are many, many instances where you'll see a same shot in a different film that you had seen previously in one of his other films.
0: Yeah, and like I said, it was just something I noticed because I revisited Deadly Blessing, and I'm watching this going, wow, look look at that. I like that. (laughs) You you look at this scene that, that really is similar to Nightmare on Elm Street, and so is this scene. And the idea, you know, you even get the whole thing with the dream, you know, you had the scene in there that's in the poster of... A uh, hands coming through and touching the girl, much like he had Freddie pushing through the wall in Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah, in Deadly Blessings. He got the hands coming through, you know, above the headboard and, and grabbing the girl's head. So yeah, you can see that that he, he
1: revisits Why, that. Can I just say quickly before we move away from New Nightmare the the the, the coolest thing about that movie is mm-hmm. um, how your own movie can actually affect your life. Mm-hmm. And I've spent like three years making a movie, and uh, numerous people died and fell ill while making it. And that can happen, mm-hmm. and I do believe it did happen to, well, specifically Wes Craven and uh, Robert England, but additionally a lot of the people involved in the first Nightmare on Elm Street. And if you watch... Nightmare on Elm Street, and then Wes Craven's Nightmare, it's really kind of an alternate part two. It's really mm-hmm. an extension of the first film. And really, you know, I know there are other horror filmmakers out there, but I, I can't speak to the fact that if you make something that affects a lot of people, in my case, just, you know, a few cities surrounding me, it affects your life, sometimes in ways you don't like, even if you're proud of the product or mm-hmm. the film. And I think that's what new night. What that's what makes New Nightmare really important is even more than Scream. New Nightmare really examines how films af- can affect your your life in a very realistic and profound way. Sure. Uh,
0: yeah, it definitely explores that, uh, and Wes also explores that further a little bit as far as how horror has affected your culture in yeah. Scream. In Scream, we see how it actually affects. Culture and and what's actually taken serious and what isn't. So, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, I think, is at the top of a number of people's lists. Uh, so, uh, great choice there. Uh, and Derek, I don't think we got your favorite and your first for Wes Craven.
7: Um. Well, we just handled my first right there was a Nightmare <laughs> on Elm Street because I, I think mean. That's, yeah. I'm a child of of the '80s, and I grew up during you know the the cable TV and VHS boom. So I I experienced that at a very young age, sitting on a couch watching this film on VHS when I had no business watching it. And uh, I remember when the the sequel came out, Freddy's Revenge, thinking that looked like the scariest thing I could ever see in my entire life, where they had the the trailer on tv where all of a sudden there's flames in the back of him he's at some pool party he's like you're all my children now and i'm like holy crap That that was just like it was on at that point i was i was totally in but um my favorite film by wes craven and shockingly enough um i'm a huge obviously uh horror film fan have been and i've been a monster kid since very little um, but Wes Craven never was a director that that hit me all that hard. I think I, there there's a handful of films of his that I really love, and I think I think that he deserves his his spot in the pantheon of horror film directors as being quote unquote a legend. Um, but he's not one that I, I felt was a very consistent director, and and maybe that was because of he took the chances that a lot of other directors uh, wouldn't have and did unsafe films and, and did films at his whim uh, to a certain extent within the genre. But uh, the, the handful of films that I do like of his, I think are really well done. And my favorite film of Wes Craven's is uh, the serpent in the rainbow. Yes. Yes. And, <laughs> and this is, this is a film with uh, you have Bill Pullman who uh, is an anthropologist who decides to investigate a case in Haiti where uh, uh, in a in a certain uh, village people are starting to turn up as zombies and unfortunately through getting involved in this ends up being uh, being drugged and almost turned into a zombie himself um, the, the the film, It came at a time where um, a lot of Wes Craven's product was hit and miss, uh, to say the least. And to me, well, let's let's look. It was made here. I'm looking at imdb.com right now. I'm trying to see exactly where in his filmography this popped up. It was right after Deadly Friend and right before he made Shocker, which arguably is one of the lower-tier films in his catalog, oh, even though it has an amazing song by uh, Paul Stanley on it. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but uh, it was during a period where his filmography he started kind of uh, – it wasn't very great. But the, the, the tone and the atmosphere and the performances in uh, Serpent in the Rainbow – I think are some of the best that he ever did. There's there's it's very dark. It, it, it takes place, you in know, in at least to us as, as Americans, a very foreign um, environment. Uh, and it deals with zombies. I mean, geez, mm-hmm. gotta love it. So uh, I, for me, serpent in the rainbow um, is a film that I revisit over and over again. And every time that I do see it, there's nothing about it I don't like, where there's certain other films in his catalog, which there are parts of them that I like, but on a whole, they kind of leave me a little meh. Because to be honest, if I were going to like give my top three of, of Wes Craven, it's going to be Serpent in the Rainbow, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, and The Hills of Eyes. And then after that, it it I mean... You can all put. I've never been a huge Last House on the Left fan, just because I don't really like rape movies. I recognize it as being an amazing film, in in like for in an important film in its at its time. And uh, but personally, it's not something that I I I choose to ever watch. <laughs> but yeah, Serpent in the Rainbow. That's mine.
0: Uh, you you took mine. Uh, that's actually my favorite out of all of these that I will say is one I keep going back to as well because it deals with zombies but it's it's not the zombies that you're used to at this point when it came out it's actually voodoo zombies right. and and which is you know the original type of zombie which is freaking scary how he presents it Andrew uh, what are your thoughts with uh with the uh, excuse me serpent in the rainbow uh,
3: love Serpent and the Rainbow. Um, again, really good with uh, putting a lot of black people in your horror movie. Uh, thank you, Wes Craven, for doing that. Didn't put Sugar Hill in it, though, so mine is there. But uh, I remember the ads for it, Don't Bury Me, I'm Not Dead. Mm-hmm. Freaking great ad campaign. Terrifying, dude. And, uh, you know, uh, Bill Pullman, right? Uh, Spaceballs yeah he he goes from space balls to doing this, and I think he does it well in here um yeah, there's a part where a guy I think tears off his own head and throws it at him or something like that it's yeah awesome. and he, <laughs> you know i mean, yeah that was... i need mean, i got servant of the rainbow i it wasn't the one I chose to watch the night west Craven dike because I did want to be able to sleep at some point. <laughs> yeah. I put on swamp thing but uh yeah i'm, I'm God why is there no special edition of uh, of um, Serpent in the Rainbow. I was it,
7: uh, what I want to know is why why is Serpent in the Rainbow not really ever talked about when when he comes up? It, it's shocking to me because it's a genuinely it's a horror film. Like a lot of his films, kind of cross that line, or the comedies, or the horror films, or they're kind of all over the place. Where Serpent in the Rainbow is a very focused horror film.
3: It's just one of those like uh, Jacob's Ladder where people it just made him feel bad, and so they don't want to talk about it probably. <laughs> it's like, I didn't make me laugh. I don't know how to process it. Or it doesn't have any one liners, so I don't remember it. You know, crap like that.
4: I would say. There is a special edition coming, I believe, either this year or next year from Scream Factory. I'll probably, I'll probably
3: buy arrows first and then buy scream factories later because it has different extras and those freaking vampires always get me like that.
4: Yeah. <laughs> it, it, yeah. Serpent in the rainbow is a brilliant, brilliant movie. I'm this is why I, this is why I was, I, I waited things out like a selfish little douchebag because I wanted to make sure to this, cause I wanted to see if I could cover all things and *Serpent in the rainbow was right up there. It's so brilliant and so layered. Uh, and it touches on so many things. It has voodoo, which is terrifying. And it has uh, also talks about the political unrest in Haiti in the, in the 80s with uh, Baby Doc there leading things. Uh, God, I, I'm going to butcher his name. I even was bringing up things to, pronu- to pronounce the name correctly, and it didn't help. Uh, but <sighs> Zakes Mokai who plays the villain in this movie, the main villain, if you can say. Oh, my Lord. He is so fantastic, and he did show up again in Vampire in Brooklyn, which was great to see. Uh, He is so amazing (laughs) in this film, and he's been in other films, too, like Dust Devil, Richard Stanley's, and he's just a fantastic actor. He's so menacing, so terrifying, and you have people like Paul Winfield and stuff like that. It's... "Serpent in the Rainbow" is a terrifying, terrifying, terrifying movie. I want to recall an anecdote that Wes was giving in one of these other documentaries, and I don't know if I'm going to butcher it or not. So, if, <laughs> okay. Uh, so, if this turns out to be not completely accurate, I'm sorry. I'm going on recollection here, guys. You know, hey, kill Wes me. Wes doesn't
3: care. I assure you. And
4: yeah. it's a it's a thing where they were in. Uh, they were researching the. They were researching the film because it's based on a book, as you as you know, it's inspired by a novel. And Wes, even though he's not, Wes wasn't actually credited with the screenplay. Although I'm sure he had some, certainly had some, quite a bit of input. And they're researching this stuff, and they're actually in, I think, Haiti or somewhere, and they meet with this voodoo priest and stuff like that. And this guy, this writer is there, and he's just so blasé about it, he says, gee, you know, I think I'd like to I think I'd like to uh, get involved with voodoo, or something, something like that. And he said, and the voodoo priest just looked at him and says, well then, you will be. <laughs> <laughs> and here's the thing, is that the guy was like visibly shaken, and then Wes didn't hear from him and stuff like that, and then Later on, he's like, just sees the guy standing outside, like, Wes sees the guy, like, standing outside his apartment or something, or his hotel. And he's, like, got, like, he's, like, chain-smoking, and he's shaking. He's, like, I don't, I don't, man, I'm seeing things. I'm seeing things. I'm, I, I don't I know what to do. I'm feeling like things are watching me. They put him on a plane, take him back. They put him on a plane to, to back to America and stuff. The guy, like, sleeps for days, <laughs> wakes up the last Memory this guy has he doesn't remember seeing things he doesn't remember shaking the last memory this guy has is the voodoo priest looking at him and says well then you will be
3: <laughs> and <laughs> his head was the size of a baseball you didn't mention that part
4: I don't know <laughs> it was just like, it's just, <laughs> I mean servant of the realm I mean because this is like vood- crazy stuff but I mean servant of the realm was just such a wonderfully layered and terrifying movie and it. In less than 100 minutes, it manages to cover so much ground. And it's just one of those brilliant, brilliant movies that came out of nowhere. It even took critics by surprise. Critics who were all, like, crapping on horror in the 80s. Look back. There's a lot of critics who said, this is a really good movie.
0: (laughs) It's a a great script and some really good performances in this. Uh, Paul, what about you with Serpent in the Rainbow?
5: I watched it once. I never went back because it was too young. At the time to understand it, I do remember the one the the one line that uh, uh, Andrew had already stated, which is yeah. the "Don't bury me." That was just a fantastic line. That one will always stick in my head, especially the vision of of Bill uh, Pullman when, yeah. he, when he says that thing.
0: It's just
5: that's it, amazing. Well,
0: it that was, was the, it was in the trailer, and the trailer scared you. I yeah. mean, it was a scary trailer. What about you, Glenn? With serpent.
6: Serpent and the Rainbow, I love that movie. Mm -hmm. Um, If I had actually given tonight more thought, I may have picked it as my favorite. Sure. But it's Mm -hmm. been so long since I've revisited it, and now that's all I want to do. I want to say, fuck you guys, (laughs) and I want to go watch Serpent and the Rainbow. Um, I love it because I've always had uh, a fascination with the whole concept of voodoo and all that stuff. Um, Just any kind of, any kind of sh- shamanic type magic and all that kind of stuff where it's not your hocus pocus, you know, uh, mumbo jumbo. Um, and because I also love this one because it's, I mean, as Derek said, it's a horror film, but this is, it's the type of horror film where you almost think this could fucking happen to me, man. Yeah. <laughs> you know, if I went to like Haiti or something for some reason. Um, you know, I mean, some voodoo dude could put some, you know, hex on me and, you know, then all of a sudden I'm a fucking zombie, and what the shit? Um, although if it's Angela Bassett doing the good oil, I don't mind. Um, well, well.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, I, I
6: love this film, and yeah, and it's 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 so beautifully frightening. Um, just the way everything is done, I I love this film.
0: Yeah, I I agree. This film is like a, a, Derek took it right from me, which is great because I'm glad someone else's was at the top because it is a frightening film. I remember watching it. I watched it many times, even when it scared me, it was a scary film, scared the hell out of me. And I still watched it many times. What about you, Cole? Uh, Serpent and Rainbow with you. Well,
1: yeah, I, yeah, it's, it's again, it's, it's a masterpiece. Um, It, it holds a special place in my heart because it's the first Wes Craven film I saw in the theater. By that point, I was absolutely devouring everything he put out. You know, I'm, I, I love everything he ever did. I think it's as close to flawless as you can get up until Vampire in Brooklyn and maybe Cursed, but both of which I still love. But, you know, I begged my father to take me to it, and uh, he took me to it, you know, and it was the only Wes Craven movie I saw in the theater up until I got my license at uh, 16. Mm-hmm. So um yeah I see cursed I love cursed Derek I I love everything Wes Craven did
7: <laughs> I'm trying I'm trying to be a good guy here tonight but I, I got I cursed oh I can't, well, I can't get well the, the
1: man <laughs> just died oh, it um, wasn't his fault uh, <laughs> in, in any case uh, it holds a special place in my heart because I, it was the first Wes Craven movie that I I'd mm-hmm. seen in in the theater and man that movie on a big screen as Glenn said it's it's beautiful and kudos to Derek for picking it because. Derek is right. I mean, it is left out in a lot of top 10 lists. Everybody's been throwing their top 10 West Craven lists around. And it's so awesome. Derek brought it to the table because it gets left out a lot of the time. I think it's like three on my list. It's tied with shocker for me, but I, I, <laughs> I, I love it. I mean, it's, it's a beautiful film, much like I was saying about swamp thing. I, I do find uh, beauty in, in certain images of, of desolation, and, and, and in particular, the, the scene where they, they, they mutilate his groin um, and then they leave him there trembling in the middle of the street. Bill Pullman's acting oh, and man. the cinematography, the way they frame that shot, my God. I mean, that is, that, that's epic horror filmmaking, man. I, to see that on a big screen is, is, was a memorable experience, I will say that. And I want it on DVD and continue to enjoy it, and I look forward to uh, getting it on Blu-ray. Ideally. yeah
0: it is a shame that is underrated for a number of reasons it, it it's a fantastic horror film that people do overlook over his other more commercial- you know more popular ones but i mean this made this made uh, money i mean this this you know according to uh, certain estimates it cost seven million to make and it still made nineteen million nineteen five uh you know at the box office so it did well at the box office i think it surprised everyone cuz you had bill Pullman who came off of space balls mm-hmm. and here we talked about pigeonholing and someone who who gets stuck in roles you know you he went from that to this role and he yeah he I think people overlook his performance or how well he acted in this film. Yeah. I mean, he, yeah. he sells it. I, I think for me, why Serpent in the Rainbow is so eerie is because of the realistic portrayal Wes Craven brings to voodoo. Uh, because, let's face it, it could be played off a little more hokey. It could be played off, you know. A, a little more shticky, if you will. Well, that's uh, and- what's shocking, I think, not to talk over you, Mark, but I think no, that's what's ahead. shocking about it is
7: that that in some of Wes's lesser films, that's kind of the angle he takes with a lot of things is things get a little shticky and a little hulky, and and they're a little too on the nose, which is why I'm not a fan of the night, new nightmares because I feel it's a little way too on the nose when, at times, Wes Craven can be an extremely subtle director and um and Serpent in the Rainbow is like for me it's one of the few films in his catalog that plays it straight and doesn't have to hold your hand the 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 performance by Bill Pullman his fear is palpable like you you he is just like the terror in his eyes sells that movie
0: yeah the the scene where he gets buried alive i'm like oh my god we did <laughs> it I'm about it. it. You know, it's like, it, oh my, that that's so creepy. That there's so many creepy moments in this,
1: and it's interesting. going because... to have to check out, guys. All right, catch okay. you on
4: the next one. Okay, we'll
0: see okay. You. later. Love you, man. Uh, well, since Derek took uh my favorite favorite uh, and we're talking about it now uh. But, yeah, for me, it's just, it it stuck out with me, this film. It's realistic portrayal. And this was kind of a mini little surge for voodoo because the previous year we had Angel Heart. uh, Mm. And Angel Heart was a disturbing film as well. A little weirder than that Mickey Rourke film, but still, I mean, it was dealing with the subject of voodoo. But here, I think Serpent and Rainbow handles the subject so much better uh, than Angel Heart. Uh, and it's just disturbing, but I love it. it. It's such a good, disturbing film that I keep coming back to it, even more so than other Wes Craven films, uh, and I think it needs more attention because of the stuff they do in this film. is just It's great. It, it's fantastic, and like Derek said, it's Wes playing it more straight than some of his other films, and it is a shame that it doesn't get talked about more in horror circles, uh, and I think it's, it's one that people watch but don't think about you know, for being his film, because he's more known for his other uh, bigger commercial uh, films. Though this was a big success, so uh, I think we'll wrap it up here then uh, mm-hmm. tonight. Mm-hmm. Oh, he, uh, oh that's right. We went to Scott. Quick. We went to Scott before, and he said to come back, and so that's why I've, I've, I have thought we had it talked about I'll it. try to make it no, quick. No, it's
4: okay, Sorry. Scott. Scott, All go right. ahead. I, I apologize. Your first big favor. Two films we haven't talked about, okay? My first Wes Craven film was actually The Hills Have Eyes. Oh, yeah! And it was – I didn't get to see it uncut originally. Um, When I lived in New Jersey, we used to get, like, all the UHF stations from basically the entire tri-state area. And one of the UHF stations that's pre cable for you uh, kids of the digital age – uh, was Channel 29 in Philadelphia, which had Theater Bazaar, and it was one of the things that used to run horror films during the weekends. And this is after I started to kind of dip my toe into horror with Alien, Jaws, like, okay, I think I might be able to not, like, freak out every time I see a horror film now. And in, like, 2 o'clock on a saturday or sunday afternoon i saw the hills have eyes yes it was edited for tv but that is still a freaking brutal movie <laughs> they're talking about like kidnap they're ki- they're killing off and mem- raping and killing off pe- members of a family they're talking about like they're kidnapping the baby and like arguing over who gets to eat it <laughs> I mean, it's just a really brutal film right and, so that's my first exposure to Wes Craven, and I love it.
0: Mm-hmm.
4: My next, my favorite one, and I will try to make this as quick as possible. No,
0: that's okay. It is okay.
4: The People Under the Stairs. Because I got to, we got oh. to talk about Nightmare on Elm Street. We got to talk about <laughs> New York. We got to talk about Serpent and Rainbow. I'm so happy we got to talk about all these movies. I want to bring up The People Under the Stairs, because I think this movie yep. is really overlooked. Um... As Andrew was mentioning, yes, it features African Americans in a prominent, uh, not condescending, not stereotypical role. And actually, re- the thing about people under the stairs that gets me is that there are elements of it that are very like outrageous and satirical. It involves these, you know, this kid uh, nicknamed Fool who's trapped in this house uh, with these. Uh, this couple that we are led to believe is a husband and wife turns out to not necessarily be the case. Uh, And they're basically, they look, they're wacky and they're like running around and shooting things. They are made to look like Ronald and Nancy Reagan. (laughs) If you look at them. Uh, Uh And they are always talking about like, when they have this daughter, they're talking about like taking the hell out of her and, all these people that offend them, may they burn in hell. Like lots of fundamentalist, extreme, extreme, uh, fire and brimstone religious stuff, much like the family values crowd of the nine uh, of the eighties, with uh, G- where Jerry Falwell could go on TV and talk about how AIDS is God's punishment against homosexuals, and a lot of people would just sit there and say, "Yeah, that sounds about right." It's uh, it's it's a, it's a it's a, it's a couple it's a people who also have got a stranglehold on ghettos and po- and impoverished people by hoarding all their money and by throwing them out on the street and forcing them to live in poverty this is got wonderful bits about it cuz it's got so many wacky and funny bits to it that are like very broad and satirical and then it's got horrifying bits when you think about the undercurrents and then of course see how they are abusing this little girl that they are raising as their daughter, like, throwing her into a hot, scalding bath and everything like that. It's terrifying. And you have, like, the, all that juxtaposition uh, done even better, I would say, than in Last House on the Left, which is re- saying something. And it is it, in, it is a s- satire. You can enjoy, enjoy it as an adventure. You can enjoy a thing. And then you can enjoy it as an indictment of all these forces that were uh, at work in the 1980s, uh, which I, of course, feel, feel fine about, because you know what? Fuck those people. <laughs> uh, I don't want to get on a political thing, and I don't want to offend certain people, but that's my personal stance on it. And But you can un- enjoy this film on so many different levels, and I thought this was a film that was marketed as a straight horror film. It was like the people on the stairs, oh God, what are they? What are they? And it turns out actually they aren't I uh, they aren't the threat. Mm-hmm. It's the people above the stairs. <laughs> it's the people who put them under the stairs. Yeah. That's your threat. That's your threat. Not these poor not, not these uh, inarticulate and misunderstood people, but the people who put them in that spot. That's the problem. This was a Ballsy movie. No wonder mm-hmm. they didn't know how to market. It. I love this twist.
0: movie. Well, it was it was again another departure. Him trying doing something different than what I think some people expected from him. Glenn, what do you feel about People Under the Stairs?
6: What a twist! What a <laughs> twist! Yes. yes. No, I, I like this one too. I rem- I remember uh, I remember seeing this one. Um, and it reminded me, man. What is the movie I'm trying to think of? Um, deep throat, bad <laughs> Ronald. <laughs> what is it? Oh, sorry, guys, sorry. <laughs> I, it was a movie called Bad Ronald, I think, where there was uh, uh, this uh, kind of weird teenage boy like lived in the walls.
0: Mm. Mm. Oh, okay. I think I know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah
6: that's from like. I mean, this is from like 1970 something. Mm-hmm.
4: I know of that movie. I have not actually seen it, and I hear it's, but it's like a. Becoming a huge cult item over the last few years. So
6: yeah, I mean, this was, I mean, Buzz Kulik was the director. Yep.
0: Nineteen seventy four.
6: Nineteen seventy four. So, uh, yeah, it was. It just reminded me of that, and it was. Uh, and then, of course, there's uh, Housebound. Right. So I, I I've always I liked. liked lot, anything, I like that movie. Anything that involves, uh, you know, people living in the walls and under the stairs and all that kind of stuff. And I've just always been a fan of secret passages and all that kind of stuff like that. And it's kind of hit on that. And then you throw in the fact that, oh yeah, they're not the, they're not the bad guys at all. <laughs> they're just misunderstood because it's the, yeah, as, as Scott said, it's the fuckers that are above the stairs. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, I, I like this one a lot. It's, it's, it's been a while since I've seen it. Um, but uh, when I uh, prepping for the show, I, when I was looking at the list, of Craven's films, and I'm like, oh man, do I pick that one or do I stick with what my gut was? And I was stuck with my gut. Sure. Um, but yeah, just it's it's one of those ones that a lot of people don't know because um, it wasn't a huge hit and it was different. And uh, but I like it. It's it's. Mm-hmm one of my films.
0: <laughs> and we, we have gone a little late, so we have uh, a number of people have dropped off. But Paul is still here. Paul, uh, how about you with People Under the Stairs? Any thoughts with it?
5: Yeah, this is another one of those films that I would like watching as an adult. Uh, mm-hmm. At the time that I did watch this, the only thing that I hadn't actually known about Wes Craven was A Nightmare on Elm Street, Chiller, and Shocker. Where those, those are the three films that I remember seeing prior to watching. Uh, the people under the stairs. So I didn't get it. I I, mm-hmm. I assumed that I was going to get uh, the that that traditional type of you know bad guy. You know there was going to be a bad guy there, and because it was different from that from that mental image that I had in my mind, uh, I didn't like the movie when I watched it. So I never went back to it. And that's one of the great things about having these podcasts and talking with people that really appreciate movies. You know, you guys have made me interested in watching this film again because, you know, to give it a second chance because prior to that I, I just never would have given it a, a second chance. I just remember I didn't like it and now that I come to think of it it's because I thought it was not your typical Wes Craven film but after listening to everybody, it, it, it actually is. It, it seems like <laughs> it, it's, a, it's a great represent uh, representative of his film.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it is Wes Craven uh, doing what he basically kind of wanted to do, to telling, do yeah. telling a story that he, he wants to tell, not necessarily one that people are either expecting from him or might be a commercial success, though this one did because I think by this time his name you know, recognition at least pulled people in to the mm-hmm. theaters, and it did make a good chunk of money. Uh, so chance, it. it's really
4: hard to go wrong with horror. It's what it, God yeah. bless it. God bless it. It's one of the reasons that studios still take a chance on it today, <laughs> is that horror people can actually spend a relatively sm- small amount of money. Uh, yeah. Even and even these movie later movies when we're talking about *Serpent in the Rainbow* and we're talking about *People Under the Stairs*, I mean *People Under the Stairs* according to IMDb is six million bucks. I mean, jeez. I mean, even to, even adjusted for inflation, it would probably not be much more than ten or twelve. And uh, you can still and you can and it'll, it'll almost always be profitable. Uh, now that means that sometimes we get crappy movies, but mm. yeah, you know what? <laughs> We get a lot of crappy movies anyway, so God bless it. It's why it's always in fashion. You
0: know? <laughs> well, I I just happened uh, to do an article in case you want to look at it on Four Geeks like you talking about yeah the reason why you get so these horror movies still wide release and especially some of the remakes because uh, they make money. I mean it's it's <laughs> it's money. You know I mean even the poor ones make more than sixty five percent of their budget back in opening weekend. Yeah. Even, even the poor ones, you know. I mean, so when it comes down to money for Hollywood, they look at the numbers and yeah, okay, give me a horror film because you know they they know there's going to be uh, you know money in the bank at least return. for it. There's going to be a ter- return enough for them to take that money and either make another horror film or take that money and put it into the pot for one of their bigger films. So and people in the stairs, yeah, I think is underappreciated as well and one that. A lot more people who uh, say they like enjoy Wes Craven films need to check out because I think they'd really enjoy it if they gave it a chance. So, uh, thank you so much, gentlemen, for those who have uh, managed to uh, be here throughout this whole thing. I know we've gone long tonight, but I think it's fitting considering the director we're talking about. uh, (laughs) You know, he had an impact on the genre and on a lot of us, which is obvious tonight. Uh, You know, he may not have done a huge volume of films, but the films that he did do, the majority of them, really stuck out and resonated with us, uh, various different ones as we've proven tonight. So uh, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk. Uh, You guys who are here, why don't you plug your stuff quick. Go ahead, Glenn. Where can they find you?
4: Glenn. (laughs) Glenn?
0: Did we lose Glenn, too? Oh, I think we lost Glenn. Too.
4: Wow! <laughs> Boys, just like every we're dropping like flies in here. We're just like a Wes Craven movie.
0: <laughs> and then there were three. Oh. Was is this the set of Unfriended? Okay. Never Paul,
4: thought I would. Be, uh, I
0: never thought I would make it this far into a horror movie. <laughs> Paul, why don't you go ahead and tell people where they can find you at? Uh, they can find me on
5: uh, Facebook, uh, Twitter, and WordPress at ForsakenFilmReviews.com
0: or no for second film reviews fantastic for second <laughs> film reviews great stuff and scott how about you
4: uh, you can catch me at movieocrity.com, kind of my one-stop shop for everything. Well, not to, I think I just stole uh, Mark's praise for what he, he does with no, that's thing. great. No, that's and, great. Um, <laughs> and uh, not a lot of stuff happening there because I've been really shitty about uh, updates, but I'm hoping to update more soon and have more stuff going on with my web series, Movieocrity, which you can catch all those episodes of Movieocrity at vimeo.com slash channel slash
0: Fantastic, and uh, I think we did lose Glenn. You can find. No, I'm back. Oh my God, he's back! Oh (laughs)
4: my God,
0: that means he's the killer. He's the killer. He came back. He he is the killer. No, he got
4: he got revived by Swamp Thing. Come on, (laughs) (laughs) Glenn, bring
6: your evil into the swamp.
4: (laughs) (laughs) I love it, Glenn.
0: uh, Where can they find you, sir?
6: You can find me on the Facebooks, uh, B Movie Bunker, Naked Old Productions. You can also find me on the YouTube, being Movie Bunker at Naked Hobo Productions, and just follow me on Twitter at Naked Hobo.
0: Awesome, and. Uh... We had uh, Cole here tonight with us. You can find him at Shadows and Lovers Productions. He's also on Facebook at Horror Roar, where he makes some really f- interesting, really f- creative uh, fan horror out of horror posters. You should check out his stuff there in, in Horror Roar, like a lion. Uh, so check that out in Shadows and Lovers Productions. I know he's working on some films. We had Derek Carey here tonight. He is from Rabbit Child uh, Productions, or Uh, Pictures. I always get it wrong, and he can kill me later for it, uh, which I think he's actually the killer of the group tonight. Uh, But uh, you you can check his stuff out uh, uh, and Astro Radio Z, the podcast that he does. Uh, We've got links for that on the Facebook on uh, the page uh, for the website Special Mark Productions. We got his link there. Uh, Kate, I believe it's only a movie blog. Uh, She does reviews there. And I think that covers those who had to drop out tonight. So uh, you can find links to all their uh, stuff at uh, specialmarkproductions.com. Oh, yep, can't forget Gonzo Riffick. You can check his stuff out. He makes films uh, that are on Amazon. Uh, You can uh, search for Andrew Shearer or Riffic Films. It should pop up for you there. Uh, He's got some great stuff on Instant View. And, again, all these links are on specialmarkproductions.com where you can find our archive and all my stuff. Uh, We appreciate you uh, sitting in for this long discussion about a legendary actor. Uh, director Wes Craven, uh, which he also did some acting, and <laughs> he is someone who uh, really affected the genre and people and uh, While he may be missed uh, physically, we do have his projects will definitely go on for a long time. so thank you for listening, everyone and remember in the spoiler room, the conversation is fresh, uh, but we do spoil the films pleasant dreams. <laughs>